Kia ora, I'm Graham. Welcome to episode 5 of The Good Oil, Conversations with Aotearoa Painters. In this episode, I travel to Michael Dull's home and studio in Nelson, where he conducts a practice that works with both representation and abstraction. Michael holds a Bachelor of Fine Arts from Ilam at the University of Canterbury. His work is held in numerous public and private collections, including the Christchurch Art Gallery Te Puna o Waifitu, the Suta Gallery Collection, the University of Auckland Art Collection, and the Ballin Collection. He has won several art prizes, including the Park and Drawing Prize, and is represented in Auckland by Fernanda Gallery. In this episode, you'll hear him talk about the transition from printmaking and drawing to painting, how those first two disciplines inform his work now, how he's more concerned with creating an object from a landscape rather than purely representing it, how his preferred support of linen is as much a material for him as paint, and his fear of taking a reference photograph that might be a little too good. I started by asking Michael about his earliest memories of creating. Well, I guess the the earliest memory is just, um, just at school, really, enjoying art classes, and it was always something that I was totally comfortable with and drawing and and, uh, and making things. So that was always there. But I, I think it was much later. You know, I can't really think of a time where that really dawned on me that this is what I want to do. But it was kind of... So I kind of in many ways backed into it. And um, so it wasn't until my uh, early 20s, really, that I started to consider that, yeah, this is something that I... Making work is something that I wanted to do. But at school, at least, a sense of, you know, really enjoying it. Oh, yeah, it was never, um, I mean, drawing uh, seemed to come really easy to me. It just, yeah, I kind of, you know, and I was always drawing at home and stuff. And, yeah, so, but I never really thinking much beyond, you know, actual doing it. I yeah. Mean, yeah, so. With encouragement from some teachers or parents? Yeah, oh, or? for sure, yeah. And I had some, yeah, all the teachers, I, I can't think of any that, um, they were really positive and they could see there was something there, you know, and they wanted to nurture that. So, yeah, totally, that was that was always there. I guess it was my uh, attitude towards it wasn't quite as enthusiastic as they thought it could be because yeah. there was obviously some talent there. <laughs> and, um, yeah. But it was then in your, in your 20s that you felt like yeah, you started taking yeah, the, yeah, the, pretty much. the idea yeah. a little more seriously. Yeah, started making uh, works on paper and just, um, yeah, taking it a little bit more seriously. But, um, but when I look back, I think it was really um, uh, going to art school that kind of kicked it off. Yeah. So BFA uh, at Ilam, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But, but you didn't do that in your early 20s. No, no. I went through, um, I was 29, so yeah. um, a lot later than than most, I suppose. And um, the program there has uh, a few spots open for um, people that come to the program outside of the usual system. So I got in on that and they thought the work was at a level that I could do the program so yeah but it was a big kind of a big deal because we we moved we we had children and um we'd been married for a a long time well for 10 years at least Mm. and um so it was very you know family was kind of happening and um and we moved from Hamilton back to Christchurch to for me to do the study so 
um, I, was, I was pretty conscientious, you know, I think, right, I've got to make a good go of this, you know, this is not just a kind of, yeah. But no, I'd already decided that that's kind of what I wanted to do. So, so were you playing with the idea of uh, being an artist or with your art at least, you know, between those intervening years of, say, you know, early 20s to, to 29 yeah. when you actually started the BFA? Oh, definitely, yeah. And, I mean, back then, the, we're talk, this was back in the the 80s really early 80s so there wasn't a huge amount of opportunity for like you know I don't think there was apart from the WSA gallery that was you know and the Waikato Museum of Art and History that was kind of it really um and there was you know a few picture framing shops that would um have work on display and and I started as a picture framer in my early 20s and worked for a gallery uh there and they had a quite a big exhibition space so that was kind of led into making work and they were you know more than happy to have the work in the space and so one thing just led to another but but it was just I think it was you know for me it was becoming a little bit frustrated because I just wanted to know as you do once you start something you want to learn more know more so eventually I decided that yeah I'd like to have the art school experience. Yeah, right. So, so an influence, so an inner urge to you know carry yeah, on, yeah, evolve, yeah, the just practice. to yeah. yeah, to see where it can go really. And um, and Andrea was um, totally supportive, which is you know, which is a huge thing to uplift the family and go on this adventure. But we had met in Christchurch, so we were familiar to it, and my folks were there, so that all helped to yeah, make it easier the transition. And 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 doing that BFA being a little older, presumably, than most in the class, mm. that must have added a slightly different dimension to the work, like bringing a little more life experience into it? Yeah, I think so. Um, certainly for the choice of my major was around that, I think. But, yeah, I just I was there, you know, I was there for a real reason and I had to, you know, there was no way that this was going to be a, you know, a disaster type thing. Yeah, there's a family to get back in support. And yeah, yeah. So, no, I wanted to make the best of it and um, and thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was just the environment, to be in that environment over that four years was, yeah, incredible. So I felt very lucky. And when you say environment, like teaching staff, being around uh, other... Just the whole environment of art school. Just the, I mean, just the library, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> floors of, you know, the fine art section goes forever, and of course, you know, Hamilton had the small section of fine art that you'd you'd work through it really quickly. You know, it didn't take you long to nut out what was there, and so the you know, and then we had a reference library in the fine art block as well. So it was just yeah, it was great. Yeah. yeah so so um, tore tore through that and uh, well, as, as much as I could. Yeah, yeah. yeah with what would time you know, what time would allow me to, to, to do that. Um, but, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I think uh, making my choice uh, for my major, which I'd take through to the degree, was kind of eventually it came down to my background and working with works on paper. Because you're talking about printmaking. Yes, major, yeah, right? I did. My printmaking was my major, yeah, and I felt even though I, I loved all of it, you know, the sculpture, the design, painting... I felt that um, that was, yeah. So, so why printmaking? Well, yeah, well, I, I guess it's because I had a, a little bit of um, experience around that and the drawing side of things. I think it just felt right at the time 
And the tutor initially was Barry Cleveland, who I admired his work for a long time. So seemed to suit, as opposed to the painting lecturer, the senior lecturer there, I wasn't quite sure that <laughs> we might, you know, gel. But um, so, yeah, all those decisions come into it. But it was mostly the fact, uh, my drawing and uh, that relationship to printmaking, I guess, seemed like a... Yeah, a good choice. So, so then immediately out of or, or finishing your, your Bachelor of Fine Arts, mm. uh, what did you do with that then? It sounds... Yeah, well, that's a yeah, good, good point. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, funny enough, I, I didn't really, after saying that about the printmaking, I didn't really pursue it. I think by the end of the fourth year, I was kind of making work that was very singular. It wasn't additioned. It was just kind of... Yeah, I didn't, I didn't so much enjoy the multiple process of printmaking. And, and that, that wasn't a strong emphasis, but it was there. And the whole democratic process of printmaking is the multiples. So I just started making singular works and it kind of didn't sort of... I become more interested in that. Singular and, works as in drawings? Uh, is, well, prints, you know, I'd just make one. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> it does seem to defeat the purpose of printmaking. It does, yeah. yeah. It was, it was kind of um, built up of, of various parts, but it's kind of assembled. But they were really just one-off pieces. And, but still kept within a printmaking context because mm. that was the degree. So, but so when I left, and of course, te- uh, printmaking is, is is kind of reliant on a technical process with presses and things. And mm. so I, I, it was just easier for me to go back to drawing. And so I sort of focused on that. Once you'd finished the BFA, back to drawing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But in a different in a different way, just using what you'd learnt and, and what you'd developed. I wasn't, at that time, I wasn't comfortable with painting, I don't think. Mm. Yeah, it was just reliant on those drawing materials and paper. Because of a sense that painting was, it was too intimidating, the material was but too challenging. Possibly, yeah, possibly. I mean, a bit of that, I think you, you know... Um, you know, you did printmaking, you can't leave and start painting. You know what I mean? You've spent four years in this discipline. And um, so I think it maybe it was a, just this time thing of just letting that settle. Yeah. Um, but I, I certainly didn't feel comfortable starting to paint, and there was no real desire to anyway. Yeah. So it was still centred around drawing. Yeah. yeah. So if we fast forward then to, let's say, 1993 and winning first major prize... Yeah, that was um, a drawing award. Uh, the Cranley Barton. Yeah, yeah, that was in the um, my last year, uh, my final year at art school. So yeah, that was a big, um, big encouragement. Yeah, that's yeah. That, was, that was the next question: is the outcome of winning a prize like that, like really you know significant in terms mm. of you know building confidence and. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, any kind of recognition, I think, at whatever level is, is, is great. And, um, and they, uh, well, it was the Robert McDougall Gallery then. Yes. And they purchased the work for their collection. So that was, yeah, I couldn't believe it. Ah, oh, so that is still sitting at the Christchurch yeah, Art Gallery. Yeah, collection, yeah. Oh, brilliant. So, um, and then there was a... Um, uh, printmaking show that the the McDougal took to Japan, and that was uh, twelve um, 
Canterbury artists working with paper. So that was the same year. So yeah, it was a it was a wonderful you know to be involved in those things early on. Was great, yeah. And then have won some other prizes as well. So won the the Parkin Drawing Prize. Oh, that was yeah. That was much later. Yeah, yeah more recent. So that was yeah. I mean, that was fantastic as well. How did you you know move from drawing as a discipline and you know a little bit of that printmaking at university mm. and then into painting? Yeah, I guess it's it was just a gradual process. I think. Um, it just seemed uh, a progression, really. They just wanted to um, work on linen and work with paint. So you just started picking up a paintbrush every now and again and, and started playing with materials? Yeah, pretty much. And But I also think that it was a decision to actually start, yeah, rather than a, a gradual lead-in, but... Yeah, and that was the subject matter was around still life at that time, which kind of carried on from the drawing. So I guess there's that progression there. And I'm assuming drawing informs the painting, like it's a it's a great foundational place to start. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And in a sense, I think my paintings look a bit like drawings. <laughs> Do they? Well, I think I'm never going to be, you know, I'll never go down in history as a painter's painter, <laughs> to tell you that. Yeah, it's just too thin. I just, yeah. My paint's just too thin. So so that transition again, and it's uh, it related a lot to printmaking, really, in that process and mm. layering. Mm. Yeah. So. Well, well let's, yeah, let's talk about the painting practice then. And, and if we start broadly, because there is, you know, figurative work, but also, you know, abstraction creeping mm. in more mm. and more, it feels mm. like. So how do, how do those two work together? Do you find it easy to toggle between the two and, and how do they presumably complement one another? Yeah, I, th- I think the connection um, is really about materials and process, I think, is what is the obvious connection. And uh, a lot of that experimentation with those kind of dual modes of working is uh, from art school. But, yeah, one bounces off the other, and I think um, in its simplest form, one is subject and one is not. But my subject is always as reduced as it can be, and I think that's why uh, landscape has appealed to me, because it's so broad and it's just there, and I think it's kind of a there's a nothingness to it. If I can choose the right subject, um, there's a nothingness to it that I think translates into the abstractions. It just kind of sits. So there's a quite me. a fine line for you between between the two. Oh, very much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but again, there might seem this massive divide between subject and non-subject, but. Just the way I work and the way that it sort of comes together, um, yeah, starts to become very similar for me. And when you work on the landscape work and more abstract work at the same time? No, no. It's usually I'll do a series of uh, subject-based work and then I'll do a series of landscapes, yeah. Um, Not flicking between the two too much for some reason. Just because it's too difficult to? Uh, yeah, you get in a kind of a groove perhaps and, um, yeah, it just feels the time just feels right to, to switch. But to me it always feels like not a big switch, if you know what I mean. It just feels like a... A fine um, line. Yeah, yeah, a natural kind of flow. And that 
emphasis on materials and process kind of binds the two together. So it, it's yeah. But I do, I do, I am interested in subject, mm. and I'm interested in abstraction, but very rarely together or overlapping. I see them as kind of separate uh, ways of working. So, can, so maybe can you describe the you know, the interest in each and how that differs? Yeah, the difference is always a hard thing to to, to talk about, but. Um, but perhaps, you know, I often think that my experience at art school and then my time of making work before that, so I've got these kind of two ways of thinking in, in its simplest form. I mean, maybe that's not the case, but I have thought that, that um, because prior to art school, the work I'd done was subject-based and at art school it was leaning more towards abstraction. Mm. So those two ways of working, maybe that is part of it, I don't know. But I enjoy uh, each uh, process as much as uh, each other, if you know what I mean. Maybe another way to approach that. Are the abstract works experimentation with material and colour that inform the uh, figurative works? I kind of look at it as the the subject-based work is like a, like for instance, landscape is like a, a motif that I use to make the work. And the abstraction has the motif of the stripe. So there's always something to hang the work on. And, um, and I think eventually they kind of end up in a similar place um, because I'm not, a, I'm not a big storyteller. The narrative to, to my work is, you know, not there really. I mean, it's the making the work, it's the paint, it's the process, it's the formal concerns of art making, I guess. So if I take that approach to both modes of working, it kind of f- feels very similar. Once I start working, I, I, I tend to think in more abstract terms, even when I'm working with a subject, yeah. Landscape being the big subject, mm. but distilling it into a, a smaller space. Like yeah. looking, what, like looking at your landscape work, almost you know inverted commas. Um, actually, I was wondering, you know, do, do we talk about them as landscape works? Do you look at them and uh, that that you know figurative work and, and say they are landscape works? Yeah. Well, well, you you have I have you have to really because that's uh, that's a subject. But I, I often don't think of myself as a landscape painter, but. Um, yeah, it's certainly there. And, I mean, initially there's got to be, when I'm looking and viewing things or photographing, there's got to be something there to make you want to choose that particular spot. I mean, so there's the interest there, but but that gradually recedes as I make the work. And I guess I like to think of those landscape works that the paintings themselves become what is under observation not the actual subject. The paintings become the object. Yeah, because they because the landscape paintings, they almost seem like a quiet protest to traditional landscape painting. Y- yeah, well, I've, I haven't kind of thought about it like that, but um, maybe it's that, that, that um, close, the closeness that we talked about. And I'm always looking for something that is... Uh, a little bit less obvious than than what you might see in a you know landscape painting. I mean, landscape painting's been there's centuries of history, 
and some spectacular, sublime works that you know artists have made and way you know made way better than I could ever paint. So I think if so, I can't really add anything to that. I mm. guess. So I'm thinking I'm just going to do something quite uh, banal, something quite well ambiguous uh, is a word that comes to mind yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. and I, again, I think that lends itself towards the abstraction easier than mm. a very complex scene. Yeah, yeah, and that that ambiguous piece is a. Um, like looking at your landscapes, I, I look at them sometimes and think, gosh, they, they look, you know, they, they could easily be English countryside as much as they are New Zealand. Mm. So, so they're a very non-specific New Zealand landscape. They are mm. not Mitre Peak or, um, you know, something immediately identifiable as a yeah. New Zealand landscape. So yeah. so by design as well, do you want that ambiguous yeah, nature? Yeah, I mean, I think so, yeah. I mean, it's kind of, a, I don't know if this is the right word, but kind of a universal kind of feel to the landscape which I like yeah and a way it's um, diminishing that subject again Mm. you know it's lowering it to a point where you know you're looking at other things perhaps so they end up the other way I think of them is that sometimes they look like a projection more than a a record yeah yeah that's a good way of putting it actually and um and you find that, you know, your your source for things and, and ideas, it just sort of comes from everywhere. And I'm, I'm often watching television series and there's this flash of this kind of landscape that comes across the scene, you know, and you're kind of, whoa, taken back by that. Yeah, it's, that very, it's just a scene that is, is sort of unspectacular. It's just kind of ordinary. And that appeals to me. And again, it's countering the notion of landscape and its history in terms of painting. The other sense I get of work is that you are, it's almost like you're removing, you know, material. So, you know, the physical nature of material um, Mm. and the landscape in the process or vice Mm. versa to give the viewer, you know, more room to to project on. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, that's... um, that's definitely true, I think. you, um, Yeah, you're interested in other things, really, or interested in um, things beyond just a particular scene, and so you kind of... Everything goes into the mix, so... But, the, you know, we mentioned earlier that, that it's just diminishing the, the kind of the subject matter. I mean, it's there, but it's not there, and uh, that really appeals to me in some way. I don't know. Like, we step backwards um, into, I, I, I suppose, the early 2000s. There was a period where you were painting you know, really still life mm. work. Mm. Um, and this is well before any landscape work. So mm. if you could talk about, talk about that period mm. of painting and what, and what drew you to that. Yeah, well, I had been interested in, in still life um, as a subject through art school kind of off and on with kind of table drawings and things. So it kind of led in from that. But I think the still life was, again, it was a subject matter that was, uh, which which could be quite restrained and quite minimal. It was, you know, you could arrange something um, very simply. So you were dealing with a subject, but not dealing with a subject. So the same kind of thing, really. It's a big genre, you know, still life, landscape, the, the big subjects so uh the thought of kind of working within that was interesting and to perhaps find a 
different way in or a different approach to it. So almost the, the, yeah, the, the challenge of finding or providing a, a new addition to those disciplines is... is yeah, yeah, but, you know, uh, in all honesty, you know, it's it, that visually might not have happened, but that was kind of the goal. But, I mean, it's that, you know, what is new, you know, it's hard. To, we're talking about a huge... Um, you know, painting as subject, well, paint, paint, subjects within painting is, is, is vast. Yeah, for me, it was always thinking about um, approaching it differently and uh, with the landscapes pulling the, the kind of weave to the front of the work and again, it's receding and pushing the subject back. Um, well, yeah, let's, let's talk about process a little bit because... You almost treat the support, so in your case, linen, mm. it seems like you treat that as much as a material as you do paint. Is, is mm. that fair? Yeah, very much so. It's it's kind of the two work together. Yeah, I've, be, I've just become reliant on it, really, and, and you know what a material can do. Uh, this is getting back to that comment about the paint being thin. Mm. So it's, it's, it's built up over a... A period of time, and then, but it's it's pulling something out of it as well, like pulling that weave to the front, or um, and reducing the subject back, and putting a kind of a uh, abstract field over the front of the work, which kind of draws your eye, which almost is is just as visible as the subject itself. And the linen is, is such a wonderful material to work with. It just the paint just settles in the in the grooves and in the weave of the the, the fabric. You know, it adds a real for me. It adds a, a real visual interest to the work. Talking earlier um, with you about you know linen and how you treat it, um, mm. you, you explained to me at some point that um, that you use the reverse of of linen. I use the. The linen is usually sized on one side, so yep. I use the opposite side, which is raw, and that just gives me uh, a lot more to play with in terms of irregularities and that I like to use in the work. But as you say, you then you know bring out into the very yeah, surface of the, yeah, of the work. Yeah, and I'm always conscious of the layering. Once you get to a point where you're yeah, you, you, you're taking out the weave. At, you know, I'm realising that I'm in tricky territory for me. Anyway, you know, you you've got to, and so to start with a very raw base is what I like, as well, opposed to a a size which um, protects the linen from the paint. It sits on the size, whereas the raw material absorbs the paint, and so you've got yeah a lot more to play with in terms of. The technical point of view of that, are, are you starting, you know, how much how much uh, layering of, say, gesso or, uh, you know, are you applying to a linen before you're applying, uh, you know, paint? Yeah, it's usually a, a couple of light coats, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of very um, pragmatic about my approach uh, to both modes of working in terms of subject, non-subject, yeah, they're always approached the same way. The abstraction and the figurative yeah, work. Yeah. And it's not that I, I kind of, you know, you kind of like things to flow and accidents to happen in the making of the work, but I find that if my base is consistent, so I, I, I stick to that, yeah, just definitely two coats of primer or, or you know, and then start painting. Yeah, I, I find that it eliminates 
kind of unwanted problems. But but then you're unsure how many layers of paint you're going to apply in that in that process of of building up a work. Yeah, pretty much. But I but I think um, it always ends out similar. You know, it's just, I think you're watching a work when you're making it. You're kind of watching this thing kind of grow and develop. And so your sense of when it's coming to completion is always around the same time. And it's kind of a strange thing, really. You know that you're, it's coming to the end, that you've, <laughs> you've either had enough or you've worked it enough. So I think um, without being too, having too much of a formula, the work grows, but it always seems to grow at the same level and finishes around the same so you, you always have a pretty good idea when the work is done. Yeah, so bringing the work to uh, completion, it just starts to develop this weight and this kind of heaviness that I like. And that's brought about physically through layering the paint. But also it's just, you know when it's coming together, I guess. But it is that last uh, 5% that sometimes you've just got to... <laughs> you've just got to stop or sometimes I'll take it out of the studio and bring it home and, and look at it and then I'll take it back in. And, um, and I've even got to the process where I'm photographing it when it's um, near completed and I'll start looking at the photograph again. So I started with the photograph as my subject, yes. and then I'm finishing looking at this photograph of the painting because there's things that you pick up, you see things differently. So I'm, there's all these kind of things that I'm drawing to bring it to conclusion, really. It's just the process. And, and to talk through that process a little more, you remove paint as part of the process as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so talk us through that because that... Uh, well, that's just a, a way of just kind of wiping and scraping and, um, yeah, but it's just, yeah, so you put it on, the paint on, you sort of wipe it off, take it off and put it on. It's just, yeah. Um, is, that, is that central to achieving that almost sense of, you know, mist that, uh, that appears over the work or that, you know, abstraction of everything having a soft edge to it? Yeah, yeah, I think so, and it's that, it's that um, trying to bring the work to a level that feels uh, and looks visually right. So you just keep working it, and you look at if I was to look at a painting sort of halfway through, it just it, to me it's just got so much work to go. It's very noticeable, you know, but to someone else it wouldn't be perhaps. So. That process of putting the paint on, taking it off, varnishing it, painting it, and and um, and that layering uh, is building up. You know, sometimes you take it too far, and you've you, you you can't find a way back, and you've just got to scrap it really. And I'm relying on varnish a lot as well. I use a mixture of matte and satin varnish sole because you've got to uh, contain the paint because it's so thin. You've got to reach a point where you've got to seal it. Otherwise, if you keep going, you'll just wash it off. And is that why, because you, you know, jump around on the technical here a little bit, but um, you prefer working with acrylics rather than oils. Was that, was that um, trial and error? Or how did you get to acrylics over oils? Yeah, and... that's, a, that's a great question. I, I'm not too sure, actually. I've kind of never really seen myself as an oil painter using oil, but it... it it can do, I'm sure, the same 
things. It has, I mean, oil can be very transparent or it can be very thick, applied very thickly. So, um, but maybe it's just that kind of, uh, I like the water. I like using, it just has this lovely flow to it. And, uh, but it was probably not a conscious decision. It was probably more a pragmatic decision. Drying times. Yeah, drying times, small spaces, working in a small space and uh, things like that. But working in a small space, in the, like, given how toxic oil can be to work with, you mean? Yeah, possibly, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, but the, the acrylic is, is, is very quick drying and mm. I'll, I'll often use a blower to dry it and just keep going. And it, it, so that is a big part of it. Right, so you're able to build up multiple layers in a oh, single yeah, session yeah, of a day. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Whereas perhaps with an oil-based material you might need to, well, let it dry. And um, so that's a big part of it, yeah. So uh, it's very instant. Um, you mentioned photographs as a as a reference. You always start with with those. Like that is always the first step of a painting is um, mm. photographs. For, for the yeah for, for the, the subject for the yeah for, for the, the uh, subject based it. work. Absolutely, yeah. I'll um, uh, I spend a lot of time driving around the Mutiri Valley um, outside of Nelson, and yeah, just just recording and and taking field shots of um, things that I think would, would work. and But I just, I've learned over time to just get enough because you, you, at, the, at the time you're taking it, you're kind of not, you're not too sure, you think that might be okay. But, but for me, uh, a lot of that happens in the editing process where I'm, you know, cropping it and um, reshaping it. Uh, I very rarely use a, a photograph, a full-frame photograph. I'll probably use, most times, a third of that. So the composition of a, of a painting is determined within cropping the photograph? Yeah, within the editing, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's definitely not a purist approach to taking <laughs> photographs, yeah. It's, I mean, uh, photography, uh, as much as I love photography from other artists and and love the... The result of it um it's the camera is really a means to an end so it's just a way of um working and i often think that it's kind of like an, an artist might use a sketchbook really and go out sketching or something you know that's my what i'm doing on the computer i'm kind of um remaking this work to what i want yeah so um so taking the photograph is really just the first start of that process and then it goes once and then I'll um, often get it enlarged to the size of the painting just to kind of think on it and um, but I don't spend too much time on concerned about compositions and, and, and kind of I do spend a little bit of time on that but um, I think because of the closeness of my kind of scenes it allows you a kind of bit more freedom, yeah. So I, I really like the, the big subject, mm. or visually, and even if it's in a small painting, or a bigger painting with a um, equally bigger subject, it just sort of edits out a lot of things for me. And it, and again, it gets back to that. It's not. It, sometimes you can. There's too much landscape if you, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. You know, and yet I like. You know, I love that in other people's work. 
and the, you know the majestic sublime landscapes is you know wonderful but to me I'm always kind of wanting to bring it down and make it more kind of ordinary yeah the, because the landscapes seem like uh, you know if anything they're just a, a platform for an idea rather than the the subject yeah. itself yeah that that's yeah absolutely and getting back to that what I mentioned that the actual painting becomes the object rather than the the actual subject. By the time you take into account the, the what you're doing with the surface and how, you know, yeah. f- the, the physicality for what yeah. and, and, and the landscape is just there, like we're sitting in this environment now. You know, it just kind of exists. And um, so translating that into a, into a painting is kind of a... I'm conscious of that. Yeah, I wanted to wanted to talk about that that period um, between you know early two thousands where you were uh, doing that you know, still life work, mm. um, but then you ended up not painting for ten years. Mm. So it must have been really interesting to, to return to work after such a long break mm. and the and the inspiration around that. If you can you know talk about how you um, yeah. I guess found a way back into painting after having a break for around ten years. Yeah. Um, well, I think. Um, that earlier work, you kind of felt like I'd kind of reached the end of it, really, for various reasons. And and just by shutting it off <laughs> was a way of transitioning to something else. So there was quite a hard finish to to practice. Uh... Yeah, pretty much, yeah. I think um, my, my last show at that time was... Um, uh, around 2008, I think, and that was kind of um, really when I, you know, stopped making work. Um, always thinking about it. Right, yeah. yeah. And even at that time, I'd, I'd wanted to start, I was really starting to think about um, landscape as a subject. So, around the time you were, you know, finishing yeah, painting. Yeah, making a shift and... Um, so, but yet I, I found it, I just kind of didn't know how to approach that really. We were living in Christchurch at the time and there was nothing really that kind of gelled in terms of, you know, it was just, it was this long period of thinking about what I wanted to do. I know I wanted to stop that work and I, I felt that I'd come to the end of it really and uh, for, yeah, for various reasons. And so you start thinking about different approaches, what you want to do. And so landscape was kind of there. And it was another, I guess it was another big subject as well, which I like. Um, You know, still life or landscape. They're very generic, big subjects. And I like the idea of working with that. Um, So was it moving to, because you moved from, you know, Christchurch, moved to to Nelson, you know, where we are are now. Um, It it sounds like that move to Nelson and being introduced to a new environment, Mm. new surrounds. Was was that the the piece that tipped you over into actually returning to to painting and, and, and found a way into that landscape work? Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. I think the whole change and the transition... Yeah, I just kind of felt that uh, the environment here was would be suited to that. And it was just, I think it was this kind of, there's a lushness to the, to the landscape. But and there's an interesting element in that where you're surrounded by 
Nelson, Abel Tasman, you're mm. surrounded by a lot of um, landscape drama, mm. but you've, you've decided almost quite consciously to, you know, retreat into pastoral, semi-agricultural or forestry areas mm. to paint instead. Mm. Why that move away from, you know, the, the dramatic, more traditional landscape into those quieter areas? I think it comes back to that feeling that you, you can't... I felt like I couldn't really add anything to that genre, and it's this, I'm always drawn to the kind of the ordinary and the unspectacular, I think. Even my still lives and the earlier tabletop drawings, they're very banal subjects. And so when I started looking at the environment, the landscape here, um, it was way more reduced and kind of singular in what I was looking at. There wasn't this vast kind of... Um, panoramas that I'm kind of looking at but it was essentially though getting back to that richness and the lushness of the, the greenery and I think in, in Canterbury was you know often quite dry and flat so it was actually quite even though we're in the same island it was it's quite quite different it feels very much west coast here and still retaining some of that you know from um on the on the west coast of the South Island, there's, it's here, and it's that lushness and that greenness and that life that that you know. So when for me to to move here, I just thought, wow, this is um, magic. And so this there's, is there's a, there's a chicken or egg question there in in your palette. Almost mm. you look at your work, and and so much of it is is green, you know, mm. reflecting that that mm. lushness. Which came first, you know, wanting to but, work in green as you know dominating your palette, or yeah, well, probably not. No, I think it comes back to when you're, um, you're you're looking at your subject and there was just so there was just so much green in the forests and the in the in the and the fields that you, you just translate translates into what you're doing really so and you're quite happy so quite happy exploring those all of those you know muted greens that end up in the in the work yeah well very much so well, now it's become you you become in some respects reliant on that so um, but I do think it's just the environment it's just it's just this region the Tasman region it um, but you know I think of uh, paintings by you know Toss Williston I mean a lot of his work is quite dry and yeah it's quite 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 different but um, I'm certainly drawn to that lush greenness of the uh, landscape as an interesting color palette to play with yeah yeah well it's it's kind of it's quite uh, restrained in the sense that um, uh, you know, there's not a, too many colours around that. You know, it's a dominant colour. But it, it, getting back to your question, it's originally from the environment as opposed to an intention to, yeah, I think this is what I want to do. It's, um, But it was an absolutely refreshing time to uh, come away or to move from... Uh, where we were to Tasman and, and just that. I think change can bring about, you know, different opportunities and it certainly was that that was the case for me. And, and then sort of finding the studio at the same time 
And that's a big one too, I think. You, you, you know, you've got to have that. Oh, so there, there was a physical restriction in Christchurch of not having studio space, but well, you found that here. Yeah, well, we were, we, um, I lost a, a, a building that I leased in Christchurch that was for my business and part studio, so... When you say lost, in the earthquake? Oh, sorry, in the, in the earthquake, yeah, the building was um, uh, badly damaged, so um, that was all... That was just over, really. And then so we moved into our house and um, and I had some working space in there as well, but that went. So, um, but working space, I think, is, yeah, it's really important, I think. Yeah, somewhere that you can feel that this is your own space and you can you need somewhere to make the work. So finding that space in town and Nelson here... Uh, along with the new environment. Just everything seemed to click into place. And and there are now four or five shows deep um, from that or more. Yeah, there would be, yeah, at least half a dozen from yeah. that. Yeah, I've probably produced more work than I've ever made in here, in Nelson, in the studio, yeah. Simply because the right inspiration. Yeah, I think, and the commitment to just, uh, when I arrived here, um, I just decided to just go for it and just start making work full-time, so, uh, and that means you're producing a lot more work, obviously, so <laughs> that was, yeah, that was a big part of it. So do you feel like you're quite disciplined in practising? I think so, yeah, I think so. I know I'm very pragmatic in my approach to things, and um, so for me to get up and go to the studio each day is just part of that process, yeah. No, I do enjoy that. I do enjoy a consistency that, uh, especially around making artwork. So uh, the, yeah, so that approach to each day, it sounds like you, you know, you're more or less treating it as a, as a nine-to-five? Yeah, more or less, yeah. But, you, you know, it's a lot more flexible. But, um, yeah, you just know that you're getting up and going into the studio. And, and some days are more productive than others, of course. But um, but I, I know you can... And it's, this, and it's also this kind of obsession about making work that it can be... It can take over the, the thinking, the making. And I do like that. I do like an obsession in art because good things from can come out of that, that commitment to it. So I find that if I have somewhere where I can just shut the door and leave and, and it's there and, and I, I'm picking it up again tomorrow, that's helped me a lot because uh, a lot more relaxed about the making process. If it's a disaster, it's going to be a disaster tomorrow, but at least, <laughs> you know, at least I can get in and start working again. So I've, and I don't really, I don't put myself under a lot of pressure. I just make the work and, uh, and one thing leads to the next, really. Mm. I mean, I have commitments to shows and things, and, but the planned well ahead so that I'm not under this kind of immediate pressure of, of making work but yeah. um, and so I'm happy to go into the studio and, and just it just doesn't nothing happens you know I mean I'm trying but nothing's working and then I'll just go back and so you know not to force it, it. Yeah, yeah I think uh, uh, and often you're working on a piece that's uh, almost going too well you kind of back off <laughs> I'll just think about this for a bit, you know, because I'm kind of here where I want to be, but this might be sooner than what I thought. So I won't, you know, I'll give myself some time 
and I have the time to leave a couple of di- you know leave it a day or two and go back. So I think that's helped as well um, because sometimes you can be under a, a lot of pressure putting a show together. Yeah. Especially if things aren't working. Yeah. You you know you think ah oh, that deadline's um, coming up quick. And you feel a sense of uh, wanting to continue exploring, you know, that, that Nelson landscape? You don't feel like you're done with that yet? No, not as, no, not, not as yet. I mean, there are times when I go out uh, photographing and just get nothing. You just, yeah, you just spent the day driving, you know, think, right, that's it, it's done, you know. <laughs> so how do you recognise when you do have the right thing? Well, it's usually uh, at that editing stage, mm. yeah. So you might not recognise it immediately. No, I don't. It, I kind of don't try to actually. Yeah, I'm not intentionally going out looking for the shot or the, you know, because um, I know that you know if I if I cut this image in half or you know bring a enlarge it, oh, there's something completely different there, and that. Process is really what interests me, mm. the actual changing of it. So, again, it's coming back to the idea of um, kind of diminishing the subject in a way by, you know, working on it. And it, and um, it not being a dramatic landscape. Yeah, and not being, a, a you know, something that is... Um, uh, but but occasionally I've taken a photo that I think, wow, that's, you know, real good. But I'm kind of almost suspicious of that. Yeah. <laughs> Could be too much <laughs> of an exciting landscape. Well, I mean, you know, I've just fluked something here. I mean, you know, uh, my photography is not the best, but it doesn't need to be. And mm. my camera is a, just a very simple entry-level cam- Canon camera. Mm. So, uh, you know, if I think if I upgraded that too much, that would be the end of my painting process. Um, so, yeah, I keep things very low-tech in that regard because I'm not that concerned about getting this wonderful image that I can work on because I know I'm just going to cut it up and change it. And not quite composite, but just in that reframing. Yeah, not any kind of photoshopping or anything mm. like that. It's just the size, and mm. I, I use a square format Usually, uh, you know, I use that a lot. So that kind of uh, affects the cropping of it, really, when you've got four equal sides. And so it kind of forces you to work a bit harder in terms of um, what you want within that frame. Yeah. And, again, that's a little bit of of, of avoiding the kind of traditional landscape shape. And uh, so I'm, yeah, I think, right, I'll just stick to square and work with that. (laughs) And I've always liked the idea of that kind of modernist approach for equal sides. Yeah, I like the look of it. I like the look of a square painting. Hmm. A couple of questions that may go back to, to drawing and how that translates back to painting Reductive drawing, you know, you were removing elements, uh, mm. you know, from from original mark making on paper. Mm. Do you feel like that translated to, you know, that that removing of, of elements of paint uh, in practice? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think um, that's a good point. I think that, yeah, because I mean, my drawings were very much, like you said, quite reductive and removing marks and kind of working like that. Yeah, so that's a, a very um, 
But there is that transition there. And I think getting back to when we were talking about oil or acrylic, and mm. I think acrylic lent itself, for me, a lot better for that kind of process. To be able to manage the material. Yeah, to be able to manage it, yeah, and work it. It's, you know, it's pretty durable material. And, um, but yeah, that was definitely, um, I can definitely see a connection there. And then, yeah. and then related to that, this seems like a uh, an almost irony in that, you know, as you're removing elements, you know, there's there's no real hand of the artist in the, in, in your work. You know, mm. there aren't, mm. you know, thick layers of paint or anything. It's all, mm. as you see, very fine. Mm. Is is that almost the point you want to, re, you know, remove that those those layers? Or? Yeah, I think so. And uh, maybe it's not so much consciously, but um, it is it is there. And I often think that um, uh, although I like gestural painting from other artists and to look at it and enjoy that it's it, to me it's it kind of references too much in terms of the actual physical paint so uh for me to remove this kind of uh visual making of the work interests me yeah so it is a kind of drawing back i suppose and being a kind of distant from it there is an irony there, though, that, that um, you know, you removing that mark that you're making on the on the support ends up defining very much, yeah. you know, what your practice is. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's that's right. But I mean, I was just trying to think of a quote. I think it, it was that Andy Warhol said that you know he wants to paint like a machine. You know, you want you kind of want to. There's something about that. Uh, the physical nature of making something and that being seen and uh, although I am like you say I, I am doing that but the kind of thick gestural marks of um, are we back to the work you wanting your work to be ambiguous removing that mark from it yeah I think so yeah it, it um, yeah that ambiguity really kind of interests me yeah in a sense that uh, um but I guess it, it's also uh, just you, you find this way of working that um, it becomes less conscious to me. You know, I'm not really aware of that now. That's just how the work is made. So the result, uh, that kind of you mentioned about uh, removing this kind of human visible mark making, although it's not overly conscious um it just kind of happens through the way i make the work if that makes sense so it, it's just there and um this is my process and until i change this process this is how they will kind of how they will be but um but even the uh the abstractions are, are a similar kind of restrained kind of um Look. Although, although there's contradiction there as well, because you leave those, you know, horizontal. Like we're looking at a work across the across the lounge and the space we're in, and and that has horizontal lines running mm. through it. That seems like a mark you're wanting to leave. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, very much. But it's not a it, it's not a a mark that you relate to the hand. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a stripe. It's a defined motif that I use with masking tape. So it's it's not the... Um, gestural. The gestural, yeah, visual look to it. And um, 
And the way I use the landscape as subject, uh, as a kind of motif, I use the stripe as a motif for the abstract work. So where did the stripe come from as well, a motif for you? Like why? Both of those I think of, we talked about earlier about the subject of landscape perhaps being exhausted, that, you know, what possibly could one bring to the subject? And I think it's a little bit the same with the stripe in abstraction through art history. It's a well-worn kind of starting point or it's in, in geometric abstraction or, you know, it was... So that kind of thing interests me, something that is overused and... I mean, in your case, you're, you're literally pushing it into the back of the painting, right? So, yeah. so is, is that almost a, a comment on where it fits in art history? Um, possibly. Yeah, I have thought about that, but yeah, possibly. And again, it relates to the to the landscape as the landscape as subject, where I'm trying to really push that right back, but it's still there. So the stripe, in some ways, has the same kind of feel to me. If I'm kind of restricting it or hiding it, it's there. But um, but I'm not making a, a too big a um, <laughs> comment. <laughs> comment around that. Yeah. Is there an you know, underlying main philosophy you know, driving the work? Uh, yeah, I, I think there is. And I think um, uh, kind of thinking about that question, that that probably changes over time mm. and changes within your situation. Like my expectations for making work when, you know, when I left art school or, or that particular decade I don't think my expectations for it were very big um, whereas and that was possibly because because of my situation so um, in the sense the philosophy around making the work or your goals and what you're trying to achieve changed when you become when I, I went full-time or you know really thought right I'm going to give this a go but I think um, essentially if you can make work in a in a way that feels better than the last I'm kind of getting somewhere and we talked about that progression in making and I think if, if there's anything that kind of around the thinking of making the work it's the it's the thought that yeah i'll just keep going and so as there's, long so as there's, proving. A, there's a constant experimentation in the work from your side yeah i think you know subtly but it's there for sure yeah yeah and it's something you probably don't notice until you you know look back a number of years and see where what you've been doing so you're but, not even right so you're not so super conscious of the experimentation no not sort of um yeah, not conscious in the sense that I'm, um, I'm I'm trying for that because the work is going to develop, I think, and that's getting back to if you have this idea of as long as you're progressing with your work and it's changing slowly and it's developing, um, it's inherent in the, in the making process. I mean, if that started to stop or, you know, uh, you kind of, you would start to think about bringing in different, drawing in different references and to get things going again. But I think it's the consistency of making the work and that ongoing process is a progression in itself. 
And um, but overall, I think if you can, if I can make a work that has a bit of magic, it's kind of I'm be happy with that. And I, I'm an artist that I, I whose work I admire is um, an American uh, painter Ed Rocher. And he said that he tries to bring a little bit of heaven down to earth. Mm. And I kind of like that. I get that. I mean, it's not something that I could comfortably say, but um, I get it. I get that sense that he, he's wanting to just create this otherness, this magic, this something that is beyond, you know, who we are. And I think uh, if you can get somewhere close to that, that will keep me going. Yeah, what what painting or what artist, reducing any you know limitations, budget, size, etc. If you could live with who or or what would it be? Well, yeah, that's a great great question. So I thought it would be a, a work by um, Giorgio Morandi, which uh, the Italian painter and printmaker, and I think. Um, his work has, has always appealed to me. Uh, it's just something, there's some magic there that I really like and uh, very happily live with one of those. And I think also it's the, I like his obsession. I like his total commitment to making a particular type of work throughout his life. I think um, that are really that really appeals to me. Nice. And um, I'm not sure how that would relate to me so much, but, you know, good things can come out of uh, obsession in, term, in terms of making art anyway. So, yeah, Great. that would be uh, a, a still-life work from the mid-'50s, 1950s would be perfect. As always, thanks for listening to The Good Oil. Michael's next show will be in September with Fernanda Gallery in a unique pop-up space in central Auckland. Keep an eye on the Fernanda website for details or give them a call. I would encourage you to visit that show. You really need to see the texture Michael creates in his work to really appreciate what wonderful paintings they are. If you feel so inclined, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It helps other people discover the show. Thanks again for listening. Kakite Anno.